I've been on a lot, quite a few trips before. Uh, led teams in Brazil and Venezuela and Mexico a couple times and kind of all over the place. And I've had a lot of teams, worked with a lot of kids. Um, I've never had a team where I asked them to do something, you didn't have to babysit them. You didn't have to, like, halfway through the day, they all just start disappearing randomly. This team was hardworking, man, all week long. It was amazing. Just ask them to do something, they stayed to it. Hey, we got to finish this. It was, it was, it was amazing. Uh, it was hard. It's hard work. We, we, a lot of times, we go on a trip, go on a mission trip, want to come home with all these amazing stories. Woo! It was so amazing. You know, but really, we, I'll just be honest for a minute. We got a newborn baby at home. It was hard leaving. Four weeks old. It's hard. It was hard doing hard work. It was hard going upstairs. It smelled like urine. Five flights of stairs, 100 times. <laughs> it's hard. It wasn't easy. I'm not trying to toot my horn here, but it, it was, it's hard work. Not easy. A lot of times in ministry, in, in, in missions, in going overseas, in uh, a lot of times it's hard. It's just hard. There's nothing. I want to have this amazing story to tell. It was just amazing being with the team and seeing their hard work. and It was, it was fun being together. It's hard. <laughs> but it was good. Philippians chapter 2. We've been talking about the last several months, last couple of months anyway, talking about kingdom culture. Kingdom culture. In Acts chapter 1, it says Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, before he ascended, went through all, the, all throughout the towns preaching and teaching about the kingdom. So he was talking about the kingdom. If you, if you knew you were going to ascend into heaven soon, you're leaving your last final words with your disciples. And he's talking about the kingdom. There was something of significance there, wasn't there? The kingdom. It says in, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease. The gospel Jesus preached was the gospel of the kingdom. Kingdom culture. What does it look like? It, is looks, it looks completely opposite of our culture today. Culture is, has, is a powerful thing. Culture is what, it's, it's like gravity. It's drawing, it's, it's pulling. I see it with, with some of our Bhutanese kids coming in. They have no idea. 
suddenly that American culture starts drawing at them. Distract them. Pull them away. Buy into the consumerism. Buy into the American idol culture. The 165 hours a week that they're not here, culture is drawing on them. We're trying to instill a kingdom culture, a kingdom mindset that really pushes against, and they're at war with each other. The kingdom culture and the culture we live in are at war. They don't get along. They don't like each other. The culture we live in says, get ahead, step over people if you have to, climb the ladder, look out for you and yours. It doesn't say look at it, look and go serve. Look for somebody who's not as well off as you and go serve them. Philippians chapter 2, 4. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort in love, fellowship of the Spirit, any affection in mercy, fulfill my joy make, by being like-minded, having the same love, being, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to the, your own interest, but to the interest of others. This is something we have taught on, preached on all, all year long with the youth group. I think going, taking a trip to Chicago was just kind of a, Uh, I don't even know the word. It was putting it to practice. We're going to go look for people that are not as well off as us, and we're going to serve them. And even though it's hard work, it's not fun sometimes, we're going to enjoy doing it. Because I don't know about you, leaving my four-week-old son at home and my family and my kids and, and all the administrative things that needed to go on and the blowing out a flat, blowing out a tire on the road and this and that and the other thing and ah, not sleeping very well. Still worth it. Still joy in it. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. When was the last time you looked into somebody's interest that you were not interested in? We're, we're pretty good at, at connecting with people that we're interested in the same thing they are. We have a common interest. A lot of churches will do common interest groups, like where you have a frisbee golf or something. We're good, at, we're good at connecting with people in something that, hey, I'm interested, we're interested in the same thing, so, so therefore we have a connection. In a, in a. What was the last time you actually looked into the interests of somebody else? Something you weren't even interested in.
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming to the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. That at that name Jesus every knee should bow. Those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. That every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility. Humility. We live in a culture that we live in a culture that is the exact opposite of the way Jesus walked. Jesus had every right to say, you know what? In a, in a very proud, boastful way, no one can get to the Father except through me. Couldn't he? Out of anybody, anybody ever, he could have been the one to say that. But he didn't. Came in humility. Taking on the very nature of a servant. A bond servant. The nature of a slave. Was obedient to the point of death on a cross. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know, there... there there's something that happens when we serve one another. Joy begins to rise up in us. When you get to, get to a place where you see uh, an entire family and all their belongings are, is on a back, in a backpack, suddenly there's, man, you, you, you don't look at life the same. You, you don't look at your stuff the same. Was it such a joy to serve? Even though it was hard, it was a joy. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? Some of you give joy no value in your life. I can't be happy. Can't be happy for nothing or no one. I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to have joy. Mm. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Let me tell you, if you don't have joy set before you, something that these young people leading worship is joy set before me. When hard times come, you're not going to endure the cross. When hard times come in your marriage, there's no joy set before me, I'm out. Acts chapter 2. So that, that is a huge hole year-long teaching on Philippians chapter 2. 
basically something I've been trying to instill in the young people is even in worship, even in worship, get your eyes off yourself. Even in worship, man, we're such a self-centered society. We're self-centered in, in everything we do. Even in, even in our worship sometimes. God, I need you, 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 I need you. Why do you need him? He's already given his son and died on a cross for us. He's already given you everything you need. And you're going to sit there and sing over and over and over and over and over. Yes, we need him. I get it. But there comes a point and there's a maturity in our walk where, you know, it's not about me anymore. I've experienced the goodness of God where I want others to experience that. I want somebody else to experience his goodness. I want somebody else to experience his love. I want somebody else to experience that peace that they can't get anywhere else. And even in worship, when I'm, God, I need you, I need you. Yes, there's that intimate intimacy with the Lord in worship. I get that. And there's that place where his heart begins to pour out on us and we begin to see other people and say, man, oh, I want that for them. I want them to experience who he is. Acts chapter 2. Verse, uh, well, well, we've been talking in, uh, starting in verse 40, I think. We're going to go back just a little bit. Uh, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, uh, this is verse 36, sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, what do we do to be saved? Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in the remission of sins. You shall be received the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and those who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. He's saying, For the promise is to you and to your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. In other words, the day of Pentecost, you see we've got the flaming heads there. The day of Pentecost and what happened there was not just for the people in the upper, upper room. It was for those far We are those afar off. And if you think the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, came upon the people and they began to speak in tongues and... and all kinds of supernatural things started taking place. You think that's for another time? Um, sorry, it's not. But if you look in chapter 4, verse 31, and they, when they had prayed, the place that where they assembled together was shaken. And they were all, all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. If you read, if you look up at Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, it was the same people. So if you think being filled with the Spirit is a one-time thing, I had this great moment. They had a pretty awesome moment in the upper room, didn't they? They had this great moment. And then in Acts chapter 4, it says, the place where they were shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak, spoke the word of God with boldness. It happened all over again. 
Being filled with the Spirit is not just a one-time occurrence. It's, it's a daily, i got to yield to the Spirit. God, fill me. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with who you are. But it's not just for me. It's so I, I am empowered to go serve those around me. So I'm empowered to go, go up flights of stairs if I have to. I'm empowered to be creative and go do whatever he's called me to. Be obedient and walk in that. If nobody ever thanks me or ever sees me doing it. You know, Pole, Pole over here. He barely speaks English. He went with us on, on this trip. He's from the Corinth congregation. Pole works like nobody else. We can't even thank him in his own language. We would say, all right, everybody, take a break. Let's take a break. Come on. Pole would just keep on working. Man, this kid works. He always had a smile on his face. It's amazing. So, and with many other words, uh, I'm sorry. Yes, with many in verse 40 of chapter 2 of Acts. Many other words they testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who, are, who gladly received this word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. You get the, the life of Peter. We all know Peter. Peter was kind of the guy. Peter, go wait in the car, man. <laughs> Peter, like over and over, didn't get it right. Over and over, stuck his foot in his mouth. Like he would do something great, and then next minute Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. What? Peter, uh, after Jesus had died and was resurrected, he's, they see Jesus on the shore making a fire. Peter and John and those guys are out going fishing. I'm going back to what I know how to do. And actually... Apart from Jesus, they never caught one fish, as far as we know. <laughs> Seriously. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. These were professional fishermen, and over and over again throughout Scripture, they're like, they were out all night and never caught a thing. They see Jesus on the shore. He's making a fire. Peter jumps out of the boat, runs. Jesus! <laughs> Last thing he was on the water this time, in the water, just... Hiking him up and running. He gets to Jesus. Jesus says, let's, let's go take a walk, Peter. Let's go take a walk, man. Peter, do you love me? Um, yeah. You know I love you. Then get back to what I've called you to do and feed my sheep. Okay. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then get back to what I've called you to do and feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Get back to what I've called you to. I think at that point, Peter turns and he says, well, what about John? What about them? What about those other guys that are fishing? Jesus basically says, don't worry about them. It's not about them. I'm talking to you. You get back to what I've called you to do. 
Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. It's what what I'm asking you to do. If you're going to walk in humility and walk in humbleness, Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to look into the interests of others, things that don't interest me. And I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to, to have the same interests as somebody else and like connect watching Vikings football or something. It's, it's okay. I know I get at least one backlash on that one. It's okay. At the same time, we have to be, be obedient to what God has called us to do as individuals. What is God calling you? How is he calling you to serve? For you young people, it might be, it is, sorry, I don't want to say might be, it is listening and obeying your parents, honoring your parents. So Peter, this guy, three could have preached 3,000 sermons and no one got saved. Now he preaches one sermon with boldness, with the Holy Spirit conviction, 3,000 people are added. Get back to what I've called you to do, Peter. Then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul. The many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Let me tell you about fear. It says fear came upon them. And they saw miraculous signs and wonders. You know, a lot of times when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we talk about it means honor and respect. And I'm going to tell you there's more to it than that. Because if it was honor and respect and why wouldn't they just translate it to that? They translated the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is, I illustrate it this way. I remember uh, five years ago, I was driving up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I was driving from the Twin Cities to uh, Marquette. I was like a half an hour away from my destination. It had already taken me like 12 hours, which should have taken five or six, I think. Shouldn't have taken that long. I hit bad weather, and I'm sitting there slow, chugging along. I remember hitting, I hit black ice. My car went all over the place. Took out a boulder, flipped the car in the air a couple times, landed, flipped a couple more times. It's going downhill. Landed. Let me tell you, ever since that time, I have honor and respect for bad weather driving. But there's more to it than that. There's something in me that says, I'm not messing. You go a little bit over speed, and my heart starts beating. I'm like, oh, please. My wife is, come on, honey, I'm in control here. No, no we're not. Fear of the Lord is more to it than just honor and respect. There's something that says, God, you are big. I am not. Fear of the Lord came on them. They saw miraculous signs and wonders. 
<clears throat> now all believed, were together, and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among as anyone had need. Uh, we've already done sermons on, on each one of these things, but I'm just giving my little two cents quick. Youth ministry is not really, uh, there's not a lot of revenue in youth ministry that I know of. <laughs> it's not really self-sustaining. It's not really, and I can just say as the youth pastor, thank you, thank you, thank you to you, church, for your, I mean, look at this team that went to Chicago. Some of us don't have the means to get there. And I'm really glad we had. It wasn't just a bunch of white kids that went. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for pouring into the youth ministry. I hope you saw in the worship this morning that it is, there's value in it. There's value in seeing young people serving and walking with Jesus. There's value in seeing them step up and serve. We, we were at Japuza. It's 500 people, 450 people. In the, it's basically like our church living in one building. Fun, huh? They share everything in common. It costs $900 a week to feed them all. I think what they said which is not much at all. Most of it's a lot of donation and stuff. But basically, they're like, hey, we're going to live in community. We're going to love each other. We're going to disciple each other. We're going to learn the word together. We're going to actually put feet to what we're talking about. We're going to start a start service projects. We're going to start feeding people. We're going to do homeless ministry. We're going to do, uh, on the top two floors of their building, they have uh, an elderly home. Uh, they've got all kinds of stuff going on. They've got after-school programs. They've got amazing challenge me. It was totally that. I want mine. I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna work harder. I get more money. This mentality of I'm getting more money so that it can go into the kingdom. It happened in such a way that at Jesus People USA, you heard it. They call it Japuza. They, the city came to them and said, your homeless shelter works really well and you're doing something right. We want to give you a bunch more. They start, like, they've got stuff all over, man, they're all over the place. You don't go anywhere without people knowing who Japuza is and what an impact they're having. So, continuing daily, they, in one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they ate the food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the 3,000 daily are breaking bread, they're hanging out together, they're in fellowship with one another. And I get it, we all need our space sometimes, we need time where it's not, it, we have to recharge ourselves. We gotta. There are times where we need to be in worship and say, 
Jesus, I need you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we can't ever worship like that. But when that's all it is, we're missing something. Matthew chapter 9. This is something the Lord's been stirring in my heart over and over and over. Last week, Dave hit, touched on it a little bit. This is uh, 9, starting in verse 35. Then Jesus went about in the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease among the people. Now, if Jesus were here this morning, and he was preaching, would our, our eyes be in tune with him? Would we be like our heart to heart? Ah, oh, I want to hear what he's saying. Right? Hopefully. If Jesus was here preaching the good news of the kingdom, it says he was teaching in the synagogues, teaching in the church. Jesus was here teaching. We'd give him our attention, wouldn't we? We'd probably say at the end of the service, man, that was so powerful. That was effective. That was touched me right in the heart. It was, it was amazing. Wouldn't we? Nobody can teach better than Jesus, I don't think. It says he went preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was evangelizing. He's teaching, he was evangelizing, and then it says on top of that, he was healing all kind, every sickness and disease among the people. Have you ever been in a service where every single sickness was healed? Every disease was healed? There was no more wheelchairs, no more nothing? Every sickness and disease was, was taken care of. If we were in a service like that, we'd have our own website. We'd be sending our anointing oil overseas. Seriously. Right? We'd look at that and say, man, what a powerful, effective ministry. Nobody can teach better than Jesus. Nobody can preach better than Jesus. Nobody can heal any better than Jesus. Well, it does say you, you're going to do more than I did, so when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But Jesus' ministry is, says it's threefold ministry, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease. We'd look at that and be like, man, that's powerful. But, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. We look at that and say, man, what a powerful, effective ministry. Jesus looked at that same scenario and said, it's not really good enough. Preaching and teaching and healing. As pastors, sometimes we think, if I, if I could just teach better, stuff would grow. If I, could, if I could evangelize better, bring people in, we'd grow. If people were getting healed and there was miraculous things happening, we'd, be, we'd arrive somewhere. There we go, comparing ourselves to other ministries again. But Jesus says, but when he saw the multitudes, he's moved with compassion. That word compassion, he was deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. 
deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest field. You know, we could have this awesome, amazing, impactful ministry, but if there's no follow-up and there's no discipleship, there's no training, there's no... uh, According to Jesus' own heart right here, discipleship has to happen. So why am I saying this? We're talking about humility. We're talking about serving. We're talking about... There's young people that have... We've got young people coming on on Wednesday nights, for example, that have never been in a, in a situation and circumstance where they see a godly example of, of how a man or a woman should be living. They've never seen it in their entire life. We pray for them. They have this awesome encounter with the Lord... And then they go make a terrible mistake and have to take consequences. And we look at that and, man, they, I thought they heard my message. What happened? Discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. You are never going to disciple anyone unless you are first a disciple. So my question to you is, who is discipling you? Who's discipling you? Who, who do you go to for advice? Who do you, no matter what they say to you, they get, correct you, they guide you, they encourage you, challenge you, Strengthen you. Who are you going to? Who's discipling you? And if you are being discipled, you've been walking in that. My life is an open book to somebody. I, I I'm tell them about my struggles, my failures, my heart hardships. My we're walking life together. It's a together thing. At some point in our walk with the Lord, there comes to a place where we've got a, there's a maturity that takes place to where we need to start looking to others and discipling them. I'm not saying this just as a youth pastor. I need your help. I, I do. When we started two years ago, there was like 15 kids, five, seven, whatever, there was two guys in the beginning, two years ago, two guys. Fabrice, I would take him, drive him wherever he needed to go, and it was a discipleship time, discipleship opportunity. I'm pouring into him. Now he's at Mankato. He's living for Jesus, thank God. There was times I wanted to wring his neck. There was times I wanted to, oh, Fabrice. <clears throat> but there was discipleship happening. We started growing a little bit. There was still, I was still trying to create opportunities where I could pour into people and, and, and teach them. 
simple truths, teach them how to serve, teach them how to be a leader, teach them. We're discipling. Now it's to a point we got, I don't know, three weeks ago we had like 75 kids here. I don't know how to disciple all them. I need help. I can't do it. Please, the God's not speaking to you, don't, whatever. I, I, who are you discipling? What is the deposit God has put in your life that you can pour into somebody else? I am trying to challenge you this morning. Let me tell you, if you think that your Christian walk is just, I'm going to get everything I can get for me, it's all about me, you're going to be pretty miserable. And the pursuit of, I want to get everything for me, the pursuit gets pretty boring. Or it gets to the point where you're burnt out. You get to the point where, I can't play games anymore. I'm just done with church. Done with ministry. Done. Start getting your eyes open. Who can I pour my life into? Who can I serve? We look at the life of Jesus. Because he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. Did you hear me? Jesus did not come here to be served. He came to serve. We cannot have the mentality of it's all about me people serving me, I'm going to get to a place where uh, there's a story in, in Acts where is it Peter and Peter and John, I don't know, trying to think, trying to think where it is even. There's a story where uh, Peter and somebody are praying, they pray for a guy, he gets healed, and everybody comes and starts worshiping Peter. Remember that story? Where's my scholars out there? Where is it? Paul and Barnabas. Where's it at? Thirteen. Uh, 14, 8, in, in, in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting in, like a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Then the man heard Paul speaking, and Paul observed him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, stand up straight to your feet, and he leaped up and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying, this is this the Laocian language. The, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because 
he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Zeus, who in the temple in the front of their city, brought oxen and garland, garlands into the gates, intending sacrifices with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and said among the multitudes and crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing this? Why are you doing these things? We are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all things in them. I love it when God heals people. I love it when God heals people. But there's something about when God heals somebody, our own little ego, our own ministry, our own... We get puffed up, don't we? These guys come worshiping Paul and Barnabas. They're going to sacrifice to him, and Paul and Barnabas come out, <laughs> rip their clothes. No! We're men just like you. Why are you doing this? Stop! God's called you to amazing ministry. But it's not about you. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off yourself and your, and your inadequacies and your failures and your, uh, your disobedience. I haven't walked out in faith and been obedient to him yet. Get your eyes off that. Just start walking in obedience, little step at a time. God, I'm going to do what you ask me to do. I'm going to love my wife. Step at a time. Start walking with him in that. He's going to begin to show you things, open doors for you. He's going to begin to, to speak to you. He's going to begin to give you ministry opportunity. When God gives you ministry opportunity and people come praising you and, wow, I was healed because you prayed for me. You are, you're amazing. No. My eyes are on Jesus. Get your eyes on him. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's him in the, in, the, in the success. It's him in the failure. It's him. It's, it's him. You hear my heart this morning? Who are you discipling? Discipleship is, you know, I'm going to tell you, just, I, I know we've got to wrap it up. Some of you are getting a little restless. Some of you are falling asleep. Uh, discipleship. A lot of times, even with young people, you'll be like, here, go do this. Just go do this. And they fail miserably. <laughs> That's kind of the way I operate. I'm a little bit of a, I see potential in you, go do it. Yeah, just go do it. And then they, and then they, they fail miserably, and then it ends up more work for me, and, and it's oh, frustration, and then I start looking down on the person, and... When really discipleship, if you look at the way Jesus did it, it was, I'm going to do it, and you watch me. Then it's going to point, now it's your turn, and I'm going to watch you, and I'm going to critique you, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to disciple you through this. I'm going to teach you, I'm going to train you. And that comes to a point where you do it. And if I need to step in ever and give correction, I'll do that. But that's, that's discipleship. It's walking through the process. 
It's not, here, here's a, here's a project, go do it. Here's somebody to go disciple, go disciple them. Just go do it. I'm not going to tell you how. Just go do it. Just do it. Nike. Just, this is a, a practical thing. We are all called to disciple. We are called to disciple others. We are called to be disciples. Part of being a disciple is, how can I serve? How can I serve? How can I come under you? How can I come alongside you? It's very practical. Some of you don't, are not interested in discipling other people because you did it the other way where it was like, go do it. And you fail miserably, and you end up feeling worse about yourself, you end up feeling worse about other people, you end up all these other scenarios and things involved. Step, step back a second and just say, how am I discipling people? How am I going to walk them through this process? Who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? Who are you serving? All right, worship team, come back. It says in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, chapter 1 Timothy 4, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for all believers in life and faith and speech and purity. Don't look down on them because they're young. They're setting an example for us. So can we stand and join them? Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we pray that that song will be reality in our life this week. Jesus, that we would, we would know your greatness, but it would go beyond that. That we would be able to sing and declare and decree to others, sing with me. Sing with me. See his goodness. See how great our God is. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to walk in that this week. Help us to walk in a place where, we're, where our, our eyes are open. They're not on ourselves, But God, we're looking. How, how can we serve? How can we disciple? How can we walk with somebody else? Jesus, I pray that you would make yourself known to us this week. God, I pray that for those of us, this is a year to dream. Jesus, continue to breathe and give dreams that are bigger than us. And not just for ourselves. God, I pray that that dream would be the joy set before us. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would, we would go from here carrying your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.